you feel about renewed interest coming back on Betty you know so many years went by and all of a sudden her stature kind of grew even though she was out of sight and out of mind for a while um, were you surprised by that and how do you feel about that phenomenon I wasn't even into the internet like that I could do certain things and this and this and that I used to like to you know, I, I was using it to type of, of, of different things, but not really be on the internet. So, Nikki would call me and say, man, Betty all over the internet, man, the internet. I say, what do you mean? I say, man, you got to check out. I said, well, you got to tell me how to do that, how to get there. And slowly, I started learning, you know, and, and, and checking out stuff. But it was, when it started, it was like overseas stuff that I would see. I didn't see too much about America. And then it was like maybe three, four years before the film thing came up. And uh, no, before the film thing came up, it was the uh, Light in the Attic reissuing the albums and stuff. So I felt good for Betty. Um, and it just so happens that Phil he, he cared about us enough that he included us, not only in the, in the, in the documentary, but in playing in different places. And then we hired two girls, and one of them was the drummer's daughter, which was Betty's second cousin, and another girl to sing the songs. And we go out, and I think we did about 10 gigs, maybe. Uh, got a chance to meet Erica Badu and, and uh, Mr. Lane, and uh, that's what else we do. We went to Benny Holiday Theater, went to Canada, went to Pittsburgh, uh, played in Durham, played in Greensboro for Carlos after he passed. And, uh, you know, after, after Carlos passed, I was just like, you know, we got to keep going if we're going to do something. So we got my partner here, Gary Purcell, to play guitar, who's getting ready to release his monster uh, smooth jazz CD. So, you know, I, I, I felt, I felt like, you know, I've been blessed to come back again. You know, I made it a point to take my grandchildren to the, to the, uh, the documentary, you know, so they can see, like, hey, I ain't just this dude sitting around in a rocket chair now. <laughs> part of history. 
So, you know, again, I was in the studio one time in Charlotte in Reflection Sounds. And um, I was also an artist in residence at the Afro-American Culture Center when it was down at the Little Rock Church. And uh, Margaret Freeman, who was the drama person, she came in and me and Michael Porter was in the studio and this guy, Dwayne uh, Mitchell from uh, Connecticut. She came in the studio and she said, hey, um, you know, they're looking for some people for this film out here. You know, y'all need to come. And so Michael and somebody else who was in the studio with me went. And so I said, oh, man, I said, we trying to finish this track. It was the color purple. <laughs> and, they got, and every time I see my boy going from the uh, two joint to the church with the sax, I said, man, I could have been in there. Because all of the cats that I know in Charlotte was in the color purple, uh, you know, as, as extras and stuff. And so I said, well, at least now I'm immortalized in film and as a cartoon so <laughs> yeah you definitely it took a while but you fully arrived um you know um uh, i just wanted to kind of try to uh put it in perspective for everybody just you know the magnitude of you know what betty accomplished and oh i wanted to say that do you think the fact that she was sort of, you know, out of the picture, so to speak, added to sort of her mystique and her building legend? Yeah, because uh, a lot of those uh, people that came to see us were probably teenagers then when Betty was out there. We, we have we have a lot of uh, younger people at the show. Oh, a whole lot of gray-haired people like me, <laughs> you know. So, um, music is a, is a, is a, is, a, is a funny thing, you know, of how 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 it can capture you, or how it can turn you off, you know. But the one thing that Betty had heard was those album covers, you know. You see, you see her, and then you want to know what's inside that album, mm -hmm. you know. And sometimes you like it, sometimes you won't. But that draw is right there. Like I said, there's a lot of, I get a lot of uh, emails and Facebook posts from people in like Denmark, Netherlands, uh, Japan. I'm doing another interview with a guy from Italy uh, next week, and. Uh, it's just, and she better really ain't into it, you know, not like, way well, I'm back again, or, you know, look at me and so, you know, it's like that for Betty. So I can imagine that the life that Betty lived, or, or was living in the 70s and the 80s, was 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 really that fast New York thing. It was moving, it was going, she was doing and everything. That's how she knew. That's how all New Yorkers know. They know how to to do this and do that. But then when it's taken out of your hands, the ability to do that, 
Uh, that see, there's a lot of things they they talked about it a little bit in uh, in the uh, tales from the tour bus. What's the name, uh, Connie? And I didn't like it. I didn't like you know the reference to some things that Betty trying to overcome. And uh, Connie's been a friend all of her life. So, you know, she has the right to say what, what she feels or whatever. And um, just recently I talked to Connie <clears throat> because she called me because some things were happening. And, you know, she'd been taking care of different things for Betty and everything. But, you know, uh, it just got to the point to where it's too much happening, you know, it's too much happening. I live to get up on that stage and kick my legs and sing my songs, you know, all this other stuff. You know, if I don't have, I don't have a manager that's right. And, you know, this record company told me that, uh, Ireland told me that, uh, so-and-so. So I don't even, we never knew the deals that were being made. All we knew is we come to play, you know. So I think she just got tired. I get yeah, tired. I, I get tired just thinking about dealing with that. <laughs> yeah, but you know what's good about it? When I first met, uh, when I first met Phil, and we started conversing, he was still in London, and he told me that he found Betty in a in a in a in a, in a uh, sister living home that was next to the graveyard. And he said, him and this girl Danielle that's doing a mass well it's a master than something. They went to the mayor and and told him to say, hey, you gotta stop living here in Pittsburgh and, and so and so and so they gotta move to the place to where she's at now. And he also got her some back royalties, you know. So in that respect, you know, it's, it's, it's great. It's great that this came about where she can find it because she just, when she walked away, she walked away from all that. Hmm. And, you know, when you walk away from money, you know, when you do the Dave Chappelle, <laughs> it wasn't no 50 million though, but when you walk away from money and just, I don't care. You know, so, so, I mean, I love Betty Dell. I always called to check on her. And uh, I was I was in the hospital for about four months. And my voice got destroyed because I had in, the, 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 the tubes in down my throat all the time. Mm. And uh, I called Betty and I said, hey, Betty. She said, what is this? It's red. You sound like Miles. I was like, <laughs> so she, you know, she, she's still, but she still got a sense of humor. But she doesn't want to be funny. I mean, you know, it's like she lost funny. You got to, you got, you got to talk to her in a certain way. Uh, and, and you know, it's not—it's never really any joking, 
uh, we'll talk about certain things. And then I'll say, okay, Betty. And she'll say the same thing every time, the same way. Okay, bye. And that'd be it. <laughs> hmm. Wow. But she. Well, you know what? She left us with a great legacy. Even, you know, those are some classic recordings and she did it her way, you know? Yeah, yeah. In a time when, uh, you know, you had to give up something. You had to give up a lot sometimes, you know? If, 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 if it wasn't your soul, it was some of your publishing, you know? Or, you know, you had to pay your manager, you had to pay your band, you got to, you, to, you, know, you know what's going on, man. And it, you know, I thought after I got sick, and after I got 100% uh, disability, and then retired, I said, I don't care if I ever see a stage again. This was in 2007. Every day I wanted to go play somewhere. <laughs> Until, you know, I, it just, it's in you. You know, this is what you do. I, I told some cats one time I was talking to them, and I said, man, you know that you didn't choose music. Music chose you. And you have to think about it. I see somebody doing playing music and everything, so I want to do that. You know, I've never took a I've never taken a keyboard uh, lesson in my life. Never taken a bass lesson, drum lesson, but I wanted to play them, so I played them. You know, and uh, People, people think a lot of times, well, maybe there's a God, maybe there ain't a God. Find your musician who's never to go look at Stevie Wonder. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the great child Stevie Wonder, but even guys that can see, uh, people that can do, you just, it comes to you and that's what you do. You know, you can't, it's, it's, you can't get away from it. It's gonna be there. But after Carlos died, I haven't touched my keyboard since we played his memorial. Hmm. And I'm trying to break that. I'm trying to break out of that. What's what's next up for you musically? You just gonna do the uh interview circuit or are you gonna get back to keyboards, you think? I'm uh, uh I'm going to I've been trying to you know you probably know how to, how to steer me. I'm t I've been trying to write my book, man, for uh, about six, eight months now. The furthest I've gotten is right after, right up to high school and going into the army. I think what my problem is I got too much stuff, you know, but it's hard for me you know, I want to write about this. I want to write about what we talked about. Then I want to write about what happened to me in the army in Vietnam, and and then meeting all these people. I met so many people. I'm trying to incorporate that. So I don't know, man. I, I got to think about it some more. <laughs> but that's the next thing I want to do. I want to write my book because I want my children and my grandchildren to know who I was. Not that I would just pop off. You know, if somebody asked him, what did your, your grandfather do? 
bam, they can tell them, you know, read the book. Uh, you know, so that's 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 one thing I, I've been focusing on. And uh, the junk lady out of Atlanta's helping me, and I know she's like, well, why you haven't sent me anything? You know, it's hard, man. Oh, it's definitely hard. I did a book on, on funk, which is back on the corner there. Um, and it took me, it, it took, Fred, it took me like 25 years to do that book. Because oh, I started, I, <laughs> I started in the late 80s and worked on it until the early 90s. And then I put on hold because I had a family, I got married, and all this life stuff uh, took over. And uh, then, you know, four or five years ago, I went back to it and uh, said, damn it, I'm going to finish this thing no matter what. And uh, but also like you, when I first started it, I was too broad. You know, I was trying to like have it be like the encyclopedia, the all encompassing encyclopedia of funk. And I realized that that was just too broad and I had to narrow it down. So. You're gonna to have to do that, otherwise you'll probably, you know, it won't happen. <laughs> okay, I appreciate that advice. Yeah. Uh, do you go out on the scene much in Charlotte? Well, did you go out on the scene much? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, not this year because of what's going on, but um, you know, I do what I can. But since I moved out here after you know living my life in Los Angeles. I've been disappointed, you know, overall with, in terms of, you know, like funk music and that kind of stuff. A lot of times those groups don't come through here. And I think back in the day, I hear, you know, back in the seventies and maybe into early eighties, they always came through Charlotte, um, but not so much anymore. Well, they don't, you know, you don't see, so I got some uh, posters of different shows that were back in the day. And uh, they they stopped. It dribbled off. It's sort of like smooth jazz really has taken over to to the point of uh, you can go in and you can sit down, you can have a drink or something, and you can listen to some smooth jazz artists like uh, the Middle C. The Middle C. I knew those cats back in the seventies. They 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 run the um, the booking agency, East Coast. That's the that, see that's how they that's how they getting the groups in there. I haven't been there yet, but a friend of mine, Mel Gray, he's kind of helping them along. Mm-hmm. Now they got Jonathan Gilman. Him and his father had a club called Jonathan's in Charlotte that I used to play a lot before uh, before they, they they stopped or something. And then they had the Normandy Hotel. I don't know what they do. I haven't seen Jonathan in so long. But back in the day, Charlotte, everything you see downtown and back down Tryon Street going to Batesford Road was all black. Even the even the, those big condos and stuff in there, they bought all this stuff from black people. So they had clubs. Uh, um, Soul 21, uh, the Hi-Fi, oh God, Birdcage, all of these are some clubs. I played the gig in there, my band, and uh, people O'Brien, first time I ever seen him. He was with a group called uh, Moses Dillon and the Ace and the Soul Aces. 
He played a blind holly guitar. He can play guitar. And, you know, so Charlotte was jumping in that respect. Um, you, they had a lot of musicians who, who, who were really, really happening, especially uh, sax players and uh, guitar players. But it was, it was music. If you was a musician and you were in Charlotte, you would get help as far as broadening your knowledge or playing. It was no, in certain cities, it's like, man, we scorched them last night. Man, we killed them last night. It wasn't like that in Charlotte. I don't really know the music scene in Charlotte now because everything I see is always uh, like smooth jazz. Ain't no funk at all, you know. No, or even, you know, real jazz, you know, the straight jazz. But That's um, what they said the middle C was going to be. <laughs> I read the first, I read the first thing they put out, the real jazz club. <laughs> I, I noticed uh, that, you know, the newer funk groups like, you know, Galactic or Lettuce or uh, Motet or um, the new Master Sounds or um, Dumpster Funk and groups like that, they mostly will come to Asheville and play, but not to Charlotte. Asheville, and we do a lot of gigging up in Asheville, boy, they, they're different kind of people up there. <laughs> a sax player. Uh, two sax players, uh, uh, Lynn Woods, guy used to play with my group, uh, and uh, Stanley Beard, they're from Asheville. And, and so is uh, so are my cousin, uh, Aaron Mills. Oh, yeah. Play, play with Cameo. We didn't even talk about Cameo. Aaron Mills is your cousin? Yeah. Oh, I've wow. talked to him. Every time I talk to him, you get ready to go somewhere. What was he doing the last time? He said something. Well, I know he ain't doing nothing now. I'm he's, calling him. I get off. He's a beast on that on that base. I, I looked. I looked at his. Uh, I looked at a picture that was way back there when Wayne, the guy Wayne, was singing with him. Oh yeah. And uh, and and Aaron was laying down on the floor. And I said, look, shoot, Aaron ain't about this tall. <laughs> That's a cameo picture right there. Yes. That's, that's, that's when they were down to only five of them, though. Yeah, because, uh, what's the name? Neff Tennant, he's one of my friends on Facebook. Yeah, I'm trying to get him to come on this show, too. Um, but. Uh, if you ever listen, if you ever listen to. Uh, um, oh, shoot. Doug and that man. Living color. Oh yeah, yeah. I've seen them several times, and uh, yeah, Doug Doug Wimbush and uh, Vernon Reed, yeah. of course. That's 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 who I was with up when I was in New Jersey when I was at Plainfield. Doug Wimbush, uh, 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 um, Dennis was up there. Dennis Chambers and uh, Skip Alexander. He had two names: Skip McDonald, Skip Alexander. And Cindy uh, Mizell, Cindy Mizell sang, sang with uh, Luther. Well, first she started with Kashif, then she went to Luther. She sang with Luther till he died, and then she went with Steely Dan and Bruce Springsteen. And I yeah. was like, 
you want to make all the money it is. <laughs> they had a group called the Mail that never that never took off. Uh, but I don't think she got a son that just got picked up by uh, the Cleveland Browns or something. He went to Ohio State. Uh, but uh, yeah, all of those people were, were hanging around up at uh, Sierra Sounds at uh, for Sugar Hill. They had their own studio and a cameo we record up there in Sierra Sound. And um, what year was it, that? Uh, 80, 83, 84. So around the time of She's Strange and that kind of stuff for them? Yeah, whatever, whatever yeah, because I walked in, we were, we were supposed to be next. And I heard this thing and I walked in and it was Larry. And man, it was like, bam. It was like hitting so hard, man. And then as soon as I walk in, Steve Jerome, he cut it off. He said, hey, man, not yet. So that was the same time because sometimes we would record there and other times we recorded unique studios. And Larry would be up there too. And it was the same time that he had the female uh, manager. I think it was the same, the girl that was the, the mayor of Atlanta. So it was about maybe 83, 84. So I, just, I went to uh, Norby Walters, had a, had a party, his annual party. Norby Walters, at that time, booked 90% of the black acts if you had a record out and stuff like that and you, want, and you were going on tour. Norby would set up everything. All you had to do was play. But he'd kill you on the other side, though. But uh, he had this big party at this, at, uh, I think it was a Red Parry. And his top moneymaker was Rick James. So Rick James was there, Patty LaBelle, uh, uh, Larry, Larry from the, uh, from Cameo. Oh, kind of, let me see. I think the Gap Band, everything, but it was like in this, in this big club. And Norby, he, he was kind of, he was kind of out there. <laughs> he was, but he was making that money, man. That was his circuit back then. Uh, you knew what you had to do back then as far as payola, as far as, uh, getting out traveling most bands after that record's out their lifeline is the road you know and that's what happened to betty you can sit at home and make money and you got the record out there but if it ain't getting pumped and everything you got to go out you got to, i've seen i've seen a lot of bands for like a dollar 99 cent uh that were on the road knowing what they had to do like uh confunction Saw them for 99 cents, a radio station uh, put them out there. But in, in, the, in the funk game, you don't get the opportunities like that. Because people, you know, it's a different different world. Well, a different world. We probably could have put would on you, some soup and some steps. We were talking about funk bands. Would, would you consider a cameo a funk band? Of course. So there's, an, <laughs> there's another one then. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, you know, then you had 
somebody might say back back in the day, I don't know if you remember, you probably don't you too young. Uh, uh, BT Express, Brass Construction. Uh, these are not funk bands, but they were all bands that were Sun. Sun. Slave. Slave. Uh, Slave was almost fun. I love, I love Stevie Arrington, boy. I love him. He, he, he's the only singer that I ever heard in my life that can sing out the pocket and it be happening. Uh, because he'd be all over the place. <laughs> yeah, he'd be way out there. But uh, yeah, I think the song called "Way Out." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But then, just imagine of all the ones that we haven't heard, or they haven't made it to the the forefront. Because I'll be honest, every band you start naming to say that comes to shell, I never heard it before in my life. You said they play up in Asheville. I never heard. I never heard any of them names. But there's a lot of there's a lot of people out there. You know, uh, Mike Hampton tried to do a thing. I don't know if he's still doing it. Uh, you know, and 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 he made the most magnificent uh, solo on uh, uh, Knee Deep. Good God. I can listen to 18 minutes. I mean, oh, that 18 minutes. Yeah. He's my favorite Funkadelic guitar player. A lot of people like Eddie Hazel the best, but I like Hampton. Uh, uh, let me see who else. Uh, you might be right. And then Jerome uh, on drums. I listened to Gotta Give Up the Funk recently. And I never listened to it like that on the drum thing about how he was playing drums on it. And it made me realize that once when they when he got that uh Hall of Fame thing, he was saying that uh he thanked George Clinton for letting him uh bust out on uh gotta give up the fun. And nobody played when I listened to it, I realized that people who do that, they don't do it right. His drums are really somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And we won't even talk about Bernie. We won't talk about Bernie, man. Hey, you can't you can't find two keyboard players, even the one that's playing with George and him now, that can play play Bernie's stuff. Yeah. Cause he one was, of a kind. You're talking about somebody being out there. Uh, and and then it, it, it hurts so bad when. Bernie's wife, you know, and I've been to Bernie's house. I've been, to, I was at Bernie's house on one of his birthdays in Plainfield, and he wasn't even there. <laughs> but he was doing a session, and he came in, and a record that he was on was playing, and he said, ow, ow, and he started it over, <laughs> you know. But he's, he just, he don't think like other keyboard players. You know, he, he don't, he, he, he put stuff so so crazy, and then they fell out about money. And I don't, I, I haven't really wanted to read this book or see this documentary. Tell the roof off. Have you seen? I have, yeah. It's anti-George, basically. What you gonna do? <laughs> oh yeah, I mean they're all they're all complaining about it, but I mean, people that were there that I talked to, you know, 
they'll say, you know, hey, these, they knew what they were getting into, you know, I mean, they knew what was what. They can't just only point the finger at George. It's, it's kind of hard. It's just like a, any corporation, you know, but you're not the CEO. See, he may have been the CEO with a band, but then you got somebody on top of the music and the business part because when he signed a deal just to keep stuff afloat and then try to slide did the same thing but slide got his money uh but they just you know judge depend on the day you, what judge you get and he ruled that george made a uh a, 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 made a deal and so he couldn't get the back royalties and stuff but hey he kept it alive for how many years? <laughs> he kept it afloat. He's still and people say, he's and like you like we talked about seeing him, he's still pushing it forward. Yeah. Yeah. Fred, it's been great talking about your music history and about Betty Davis and, and all that great music and great memories and I really appreciate it. Thank you for sharing that with the Truth and Rhythm audience. Hey man, I, I, I'm honored, you know. Because I, I've been up on on the internet and I've seen your work, <laughs> and I'm and I'm in I'm in the class with a lot of great people, and I appreciate you doing that. My pleasure. Thank you so much for making the time. And continued good health, and uh, hopefully some music in the future too. Thank you so much, Scott. Take good care, Fred. All right. Hey, back at Truth and Rhythm headquarters. Thank you for joining us on another magical ride with Truth and Rhythm. Whether you're watching or listening, as always, thank you so much for your continued interest and support. Be sure to subscribe. Go to YouTube. Go to the Funkin' Stuff channel. That's where Truth and Rhythm lives and breathes and thrives. Also, goodies here like TIR Quick Takes. And if you subscribe, you know what? You get the show before anyone else. It's free. If you love jazz, funk, R&B, soul, you can't miss it. Pass it along. Tell a friend. Tell family. This audience is growing, and it is a beautiful thing, all coming together for the love of this great music. Also, if you can throw us a buck or two, we could use the support financially, keeping the lights on, keeping the servers going, all these expenses. If you can help support the program, whatever you can give, much appreciated. Go to the funkinstuff.net website and on the right hand side of every page you just click and you can donate through PayPal credit card whatever very easy to do and so much appreciated and if you do a sizable donation I will mention you on the program also drop me a line email me at Scott G at funkinstuff.net let me know who else you'd like to see on the show what you enjoy about the music let's just kibitz and uh, talk about stuff you know talk music you'll find that I respond very quickly and I much enjoy the uh, rapport and the camaraderie and the interaction. Always remember, this is your show, The True Music Lover. So for now, that's all the time we have for this one. It's a wrap. As always, Scott Dr. GX Goldfine saying, keep on vibrating to the rhythm of the one. <laughs>